Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast where we talk to interesting people. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Hey, I'm going to use it until we get a cease and desist. Scott Ackerman isn't using it. I'm not caught up on Comedy Bang Bang, so maybe he's using it again. But last I heard, Comedy Bang Bang was America's podcast, so we are now the podcast where we talk to interesting people. And we have a very interesting person today, a great guest. It's actor and magnet theater performer Michael Stevens. But first, a couple of fun things. It's previous guest Jimmy Crane's birthday. Happy birthday, Jimmy. Listen to his podcast, Improv Nerd, and listen to his episode, It's in the Feed. We have a new blog up of fests you can submit to in May. Nobody knows what's going on, guys. So uh, these fests, some of them are pushing back their dates or canceling altogether. And some are scheduled for November, and the event runners are waiting to see how things are around then. So since you don't know what the future holds, you may not feel comfortable submitting to a festival, and that is okay. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to do that right now we're not doing that we're just posting this fest info in hopes of this all being behind us one day and us being able to go to festivals again so that's just what we're doing don't don't feel like you have to submit to this if you don't feel comfortable and we also have a blog up of live comedy shows happening online so check those blogs out on our website, thereitispod.com. On to today's guest. He's great, super funny. He's a friend of ours here. And uh, he's very, it's, it's just, he's such a unique thinker. He's got original thought. And I love this talk. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Michael Stevens. I'm pretty sure I first saw you on, I think it was a character show. You did a really hilarious bit you were doing a, a james earl jones yeah yeah <laughs> but it was james earl jones uh reciting what was it that he was reciting yeah so it was uh james earl jones like in the style of like fences or something like that mm-hmm. um it was a scene from the omen um that had been sort of like recontextualized so basically like what if damien had a black dad and it was james earl jones from from fences <laughs> it was so so funny yeah, and they- so, like gosh i mean i just lose loot was just losing it the entire time it's like this guy is number one doing an amazing james earl jones impression <laughs> but this premise is so absurd that it was just like brilliantly, ridiculously silly and funny and and smart, you know, like it's oh, which is you. yeah. I mean, that's my favorite kind of humor is when somebody is doing something that's ultimately really silly, but yeah. then done in such a like smart person way, <laughs> you know, where it's like oh, this person made some connections the average person can't make. Um, Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, and as time went on, the more I just saw how 
talented you are and how great you are and got to work with you once, which was a, a highlight for me after moving to New York. You have a presence on stage that makes me think you did theater before, you know, <laughs> going out uh, after school or anything. Like, what what were you doing? Like, when did you get into performing? When did you get into comedy? Um. So, I mean, I got into... I first, like, really loved doing it. Like, I, I was always, like, a shy kid. Mm-hmm. And I was homeschooled. And a lot of the times you, you kind of just like, if you don't have friends, you make it work psychologically. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like I watch a lot of movies and like do a lot of silly voices in my room, like by myself. <laughs> and I was like the highlight of my, of my day. That was the most fun for me in the world. Um, and then I never really did anything with it until like high school. Uh, one of my friends, they were doing like, uh, they were doing Guys and Dolls, and I was like, oh, play, you know, and this is where girls are, so, <laughs> all right, cool, I'm going to do this play, and, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to fuck around and find out what this is all about, and it was so much fun for me. I was like a background character, uh-huh. uh, but it was it's that thing that happens when you're in drama club where, like, it just gets you, and, like, you have your one moment where you say one line on stage, and it's like all your parents talk about and (laughs) like that was like oh man i love this this is not only a way for me to meet people and make friends and like have fun but like it's also a way for me to get that validation that i am starving for as a child who you know doesn't really who hadn't really interacted with other people that much and so i continued to do it um i did you know community theater and high school theater and then in college I did a bunch of plays and that was about the time I started to like take it quote unquote seriously Mm -hmm. Uh, because before it was just like oh I just this is something I need to do because this is where my people are um then like I continued doing it in college um and I preferred I I like I like doing dramas but I found that like I had a lot of fun like doing fun, like being funny in dramas, Mm -hmm. reading lines in a different way. And like, like, I was like, Oh, like, why don't we try it? Can I just do this? Cause this feels, this feels like goofy and like something that my dad would do. (laughs) And it, it feels real. It feels realer than like me trying to squeeze a serious, like tears out at this moment. Like, Oh, interesting. And it would, it would play pretty well. Um, Yeah. Like, one so of the, are, are you talking like changing something that was in the script, maybe a serious moment, and then making it funny, or are you talking about something that was kind of more of a neutral moment and finding humor in it? Um, it's probably a little bit of both, depending yeah. on the the play. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, one of my favorite parts uh, that I I played and like hope I get to play again. This was actually in high school. Um, but it was, uh, we did Romeo and Juliet and I played Friar Lawrence Mm. and I don't know why. Um, but I was like, that's the part I want to, to, uh, like fuck Romeo, fuck everybody. Like (laughs) he's the one who's like, like he has so many lines where he's just like, yo, chill. 
Like, <laughs> he's just trying to get this boy to chill. Like, just chill <laughs> out, man. Like, and there's something about that motivation that's just so funny to me. I was like, oh, this character is a is comedic. Um, like, comedic. <laughs> Even as he relays all of the, the drama and the pain, um, once, you know, things really start get cooking, you know, in the fourth and fifth act. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There's something about, like, we t- there's this distinction that we talk about in, com- in, in theater about, like, comedy versus drama and which is harder. And I kind of really believe, um, just because I've seen it in the world, that, like, every moment has a little bit of both. And... Like, as an actor, like, I feel like it's very fun to deliver that, to to try and convey that. Because, I don't know, like, there are certain things, like, I don't know if you watch, like, Charlie Chaplin stuff. If you ever watch, like... Yeah. So, like, in The Kid, um, you know, like, he's just trying to take care of this kid. He just loves this kid. And there's all Mm -hmm. these, like, funny little scenarios that they're in. But I feel like... I don't know. There's certain moments that certain like dramatic moments uh-huh. that that comedy is kind of like a really fun <laughs> act to, to get to like the core truth of something. Oh God, I'm, yeah. I'm having a hard time thinking of like a, a specific example, but like I've always felt like if you're doing a comedy, uh, if you're doing, if you're doing drama, try and find what's funny. And if you're doing uh comedy, try and find what's sad. And that's always oh, nice. that sort of like, you know, who that reminds me of is Michael Keaton, because a lot of people don't realize he started out in comedy. I love um, Michael. Keaton. He's, he's he's, oh, oh, yeah. He's one of the best all time, as far as I'm concerned, because he he thinks about it more than people might realize. But he like he did stand up and then he did a couple movies like Mr. Mom and a couple other comedies. And so when he was going to do Batman, people didn't get it. Like, there were a lot of people who were like, you mean Mr. Mom is going to be Batman? I don't buy it. Yeah. And, of course, he now is more seen as a dramatic actor than a comedic one. But he really rides that line of, in Batman, he was like, okay, where can we find some humor? And not, like, at the expense of the drama, but at the truth of the moment. Yeah. And he seems to, in dramas, find... Uh, a, some sort of angle in there like that. Like, you know, Spider-Man, the, the one he's in, he, yes. that intense scene where he, at the like, I guess going to the dance and yes. he's picking up Peter, so like good. that scene is so intense. And I think it's because he rides that line of, there is something really like, like there's like a lot of mischief to that scene. And I think it gives it this undercurrent of danger in a weird way. I love the word mischief. Oh. Yeah. It's such a perfect word. It's something that I learned from Lewis Kornfeld of it's such a perfect word to describe how to find comedy. Because uh, a lot of times when something is hacky, it's somebody trying too hard to be funny. But a lot yeah. of times when something is funny, it's because somebody has just found mischief and they're uh, just being, you know, like going against the grain in some way. I, I, yeah. Uh. I love that. Like everything, uh, Michael. Oh, God, so much, so much. Uh, even the Lewisisms. I, I love. Like <laughs> yeah. that dude has some fucking wisdom. Oh um, gosh, yeah. Cosmic wisdom. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. 
But um, well, let's talk yeah. Michael Keaton first. Your your love oh. of Michael Keaton. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Uh, there's this movie he did, Clean and Sober, that yes. I like. That's one of my favorite. Like, if I was like, all right, here's how you like. If someone was like, how do you act? Or like, how do you write a screenplay? I was like, boom, clean and sober. <laughs> Watch that movie. Um, it mm-hmm. is my, it's just like, it's the role that got him Batman. Yeah, um, that was, and, I had seen it and I was like, oh, well, because of this thing. Or I, I knew about it. I was a kid, so I yeah. didn't, <laughs> I hadn't seen it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I remembered it and I remembered seeing a lot of the commercials for it. And I was familiar with who he was because he was Mr. Mom. And I was like, yep. oh, wow, this guy is completely different in this. And when I heard Batman, I wasn't like, Oh, he can't do this. And for something like clean and sober, you need someone like he's playing an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and you need someone who can embrace the, the full humanity of that addiction of Mm -hmm. that type of pain. Um, like that whole screenplay is just, ugh. I, I, I love that movie. And um, as a child, like I was, from, I'm familiar with Michael Keaton as Batman. So then I started to like go through back, go back through his stuff, and it's like he's got some real gems. I even love Multiplicity. People hate that movie, but <laughs> I love Multiplicity too, and I never understood why people hated it. He's so good in that movie. He's very good. Like he was, I think he's he was Paul Rudd. Like a Paul Rudd type before Paul Rudd was Paul Rudd. I um, completely agree with that. I've never heard that before or thought it before, but I am 100% on board with that. I think if that movie came out in like that 2010 era of comedies, it could have done better. Oh, absolutely. I think it would be um, a lot more appreciated in the Judd Apatow era yep. of comedy. Oh, God. You get like Jason Segel or, or one of those guys. Like, oh, God. Or even if it's just like Michael Keaton was just younger and just, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if that movie uh, uh, came was like on like TBS a bunch in that era, I bet a lot of people would have found it and said, "This movie's good. Why have I never heard of it?" It's so funny, and uh, yeah, I mean, going back to like when he plays Batman. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene, my favorite scene in any Batman scene, and like I've I've read a lot about scenes that got like written out of the Batman screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite scene actually didn't get made, <laughs> but my second favorite scene, I guess, um, is the you want to uh, you want to get a, get nuts? Come on, yeah. let's get nuts. It is the perfect like distillation of everything that Batman is. Yeah. Uh, like he is a guy in a suit. He is a regular guy <laughs> in a suit, losing his mind. Who, who has not been to therapy? Who has not gotten the help he needs? Mm-hmm. Who is on the same level as everyone he fights? He is yeah. a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I love the comics and even like the video games that uh, of Batman that acknowledge that that like. Yeah. You know, I guess Christopher Nolan did it too with Joker saying it, and Joker says it in like one of the Batman games. It's just like, yeah, you're a freak like me. But yeah. I remember when Val Kilmer was promoting Batman Forever, 
Yeah. And he was just sort of laughing and saying, like, Bruce Wayne is not a normal per- Like, he's a crazy person. Like, who is this guy, this billionaire, who thinks it's okay for him to go around at night and beat people up? Like, there's something wrong with this guy. Um, when I'm thinking about everything that's going on in the world now, I'm like, I hope the next Batman movie really underlines that this man is not well. And if he, if we lived in a comic book universe we should all be afraid of him. (laughs) (laughs) He is a billionaire with his own technology that he doesn't share with the cops. Right, right. He's got his own technology in an economically depressed city, and he's beating the crap out of people who are mentally ill and poor. Yeah. A part of what you just said is addressed in Black Panther, because that was Uh, Killmonger's thing of, like, you have all this technology, you're not sharing it with the world. And... uh, SNL did a bit a year or so ago where Beck Bennett was playing Bruce Wayne. And it's just Bruce Wayne at like a, a some sort of function event. And there were uh, some black kids there with their mom. And then they were talking about Batman, about how like he's just like beating up all these <laughs> all these poor people. Like he, they're making that point. And he's like, no, no, he's okay. It's like, but why? Why does he just go to the poor <laughs> Like, why is he beating us up? And I'm like, yeah. I was like playing the Batman game yesterday because I got back into playing that game uh, because yeah. of everything. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, the way they have Alfred talk to Batman, calling him Master Bruce or calling him Sir or yeah. Master Wayne, and he just calls Alfred, Alfred, never calls him Sir. This this guy who raised him but wasn't his, his parents is like... A butler there, but an adult who is around, like he didn't call him Mr. or, or Sir or anything like that. And I was like, man, Batman kind of needs to check his privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of, I would like to see that in a Batman. Like, I don't want to, I'm not saying they need to overdo it or anything, but it would be nice to, he, oh. if he's supposed to be a hero, then he can't be problematic so, beyond the fact that he is like beating people up. I have some very fun recommendations for you. Um, Batman is my favorite character because I look at him as like, he's like, he's, he's always been a friend, but he's a friend who's like, just doesn't know how to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are certain takes on Batman that really like, all right. So there's, there's Batman by Tom King. Um, mm-hmm. It's 85 issues. Um, it should be released soon, you know, in the world when comic books are being shipped again. Mm-hmm. But it's it's basically a take on Batman that looks at everything that Batman is and is like, hey, Batman is just a very sad, traumatized child. Mm-hmm. Like, just trapped in a cycle of, of, like, reliving his trauma over and over and over again until the end of time. Mm-hmm. Um now, a little bit about the writer, Tom King. He's like a, a CIA, he's an ex-CIA uh, operative. So, like, he's seen some shit. Mm-hmm. And he applies that, like, to Batman. Like, Batman as this psychotic billionaire soldier mm-hmm. who is just so damaged. Um, it, like, deconstructs everything that we know Batman to be. And then, like... It feels like a Nola Hawley TV show. It feels like Fargo. Like it, it wow. it's it's just such a smart, sensitive take on Batman. Who, like, 
It's just like, what if, what if Batman tried to be happy for 85 issues? What if he actually tried to understand his trauma? Like, what would that version of a comic book superhero look like? It is some of the best comic book writing of the modern age. Um, and then number two would be Batman White Knight, which deals with Batman completely from like a, yeah, what if, what if the Joker got cured, uh, became a lawyer and then pointed out everything that Batman was doing wrong. Um, <laughs> Interesting. It's, it's very cool. Okay. I haven't heard of those. So I, I definitely want to check those out because I've, I've read a bunch of other Batman <laughs> things that I'm yeah. interested in. I, I don't think I have any new ones. Um, I, I, Batman's my favorite too. And um, I just think there's, it's a really rich character and I still think that there's so much that they can do with the character that you don't hear so much about. Like people will hint at it. Yeah. Uh, they, Nolan hinted at it. Um, but some of the stuff we're talking about that no one's addressed and, yeah. and I just want to hear. And then like, you know, Frank Miller went off the deep end was saying like, well, he's just, he's just bad. So he'd just be like, I'm the GD Batman, you know? And it's sort of like, well, that doesn't really address in a very sincere way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I like year one and I like uh, the Dark Knight Returns, but I did not care for the other Frank Miller Batman things. Um, the other Frank Miller Batman things are, yeah, those are the right ones to like. Like the Batman year one is so good. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dark Knight Returns, I think for me, like it tickles it tickles a, a soft spot spot in my heart that like I have that has an affinity for like industrial uh, like science fiction movies of like the 1980s. So like the RoboCops and the Terminators of the world, like mm -hmm. that sort of um, like not cyberpunk, but almost uh -huh. um, like warehouse punk. If you were to make up a term for it, I guess mm -hmm. um, like, that sort of aesthetic I really miss where like mm -hmm. um, they actually made like a, a cartoon movie version of the dark Knight returns and they cast Peter Weller as, uh, as yeah. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And, Oh, I freaking love that. <laughs> yeah. I saw that that's out. I haven't seen it, but I did. I saw the trailer. Um, yeah. There, and I like the Arkham video games, but there's also the comic, the graphic novel, um, uh, Batman Arkham, Asylum, oh, or is yeah. it Arkham Knight in the uh, the comic? So there are a couple of Ar there's Arkham Knight, um, and there's Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth, where it's just Batman walking through Arkham Asylum, and it's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's uh, the one I read and loved because it's ooh, so interesting. It's the whole thing. I read that when I was like real young, um, mm -hmm. and I was like, I lost my mind when. They're like trying to teach Two Face how to uh, navigate choice again, and mm -hmm. so they're like, he's trying to like. So we took away his coin and we gave him seven, gave him seventy two tarot cards. So now he's got too many. He's got more choices, but you know, with very basic decisions like, oh, can I go to the bathroom? Like he's, you know, yeah, mess all over himself because he's got all these choices and that level of oh. That level of, of of like unwellness, mm -hmm. I'm I that like shocked the shit out of me when I was eleven. I was like, oh man, wait, 
Batman's villains are sick? <laughs> They're all sick people? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, from a comic book or cartoon point of view, you can present those characters and in such a like cartoonish enough way where it's just like, okay, we're just kind of turning off our brains here and just this is just fun and there's nothing socially wrong about anything. But if you do twist it into that sort of Christopher Nolan realism sort of way, you kind of have to acknowledge like they're like all these people are mentally ill and it's not just about good versus evil anymore. It's not that anymore. It's like, yeah, there's corruption in the police department and in, uh, uh, you know, in politics in Gotham. But aside from that, like Bruce Wayne's mentally ill. Joker's mentally ill. Like (laughs) why are, and, and the cops are just trying to run these people down. Like, there is something real life there that's just kind of eerie and and almost scary to to like note and notice in Batman, which is maybe weird for some of the listeners to hear us talk so seriously yeah. about Batman. But like, if we put this in real life terms, it's exactly as you say. Honestly, like, so I my dad is a he's like a borderline conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. and so. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think like one a lot of the time. <laughs> okay. And so, like, whenever I watch anything now, I'm my brain is already trying to like uncover the the hidden meaning or like the the subtext. And it's there's subtext in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that's why I became an English major in college because I was like, well, fuck, I love reading and I love saying this thing actually is about this and. <laughs> being able to back it up with just insane (laughs) shit but like yeah batman like if you look at it if like when i when i think about batman with just any level of sensitivity for not sensitivity but i I guess um if i apply anything to it from real life it's kind of like the saddest story about our world which is batman is this guy with all this money power and privilege who is so like neat and like neck deep in his own trauma that he can't see the real societal ills that got his parents killed. And mm-hmm. so he's locked in this never ending war, you know, on crime where it's like, yo, Batman, if you just like went to therapy, started a nonprofit, like just basic, like went on a couple of dates, um, Everything that Alfred tells him to do, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you would be you would be okay, and you'd be actually helping Gotham. But it's this... It's this sick, like... Like, I don't know. It, it's such this... It's, it's this American... I don't know. This American idea. We, we've only had, like, 16 years of peace in our entire friggin' history. Yeah. This idea that there needs to be a war. That there needs to be one bad guy. Like... Batman sort of embodies the the pointlessness of mm-hmm. of every war we've ever been in, where it's just like, oh man. What it reminds me of is, in when Dark Knight came out, and yeah. people were trying to make an argument, like legitimately in the po- political realm, uh, not politicians themselves, yeah. but like uh, pundits, 
were actually using Dark Knight as an example or a reason why we needed to go to war in Iraq. Wild. Or Iraq. I'm sorry to mispronounce that. Um, And it was sort of like, you guys are political pundits. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, what are you doing right now? Why are you talking about a comic book movie to justify Bush's choices? Um, When in all honesty, as you say, like if we're going to go there, it really points to the lack of need for that. (laughs) Batman is not the good guy. Of his own story. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's one of the victims, for yeah. sure. He's one of the victims, and, and that's what's so scary about it. Yeah, you it's yeah, it's what people say, like, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. <laughs> and he is a hurt person. And he is, Yo. he means well, Yeah, but he's hurting people. Yeah, um, and we didn't even talk about all the kids that he's looped in, all the child soldiers that he's looped into his war. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yes. that's another. Pro- I mean, I'm glad that's not really been in the movie so much because like yeah, yeah. Chris O'Donnell's <laughs> been too old. But like in the comics, they are full on kids. I mean, that's like I, we just watched The Wire, and it's no different than like Marlo using twelve year olds oh to God, like sell difficult. stuff. Like it's the same. Uh, uh, that was. Oh, uh, that's an amazing parallel. Yeah, I mean. You can't have a twelve-year-old fighting crime with you. In some in some instances, Batman is like real hesitant to do it, but then he's still like doing it. And then there's sometimes I think it was, uh, I think it was Frank Miller's um, in one of Frank Miller's thing. Like it must have been, it must have been Dark Knight Returns, where I think like yeah. Wonder Woman is is like he's got a kid working with him. Like he's there's something wrong with him. like that's not how she words it um so what i love about this is that i see the parallel in how you break down even like batman stuff that you watch to how you created that james earl jones piece you know (laughs) where you're like thinking about it on a deeper level and and what it all really means and the you know maybe the audience doesn't pick up on that but there is i i feel like the reason it resonates with people is because there is that depth to it, whether people consciously realize it or not. When you are working on, because you're also on are on sketch teams or have been on sketch teams and done uh, and and sketch shows at the Magnet. When you're creating material, how do you come from that perspective to write your material, or is that like like how how does it how do you process it out and, and utilize this way of thinking? So uh, lucky for me, um, I only will ever apply to the sketch program as a performer, mm-hmm. just as like writing sketch. I'll write my own characters um, for like solo shows and stuff like that. But like on the sketch teams I've been on, I've exclusively been on as a performer because I I uh, I love performing sketch and I hate writing sketch. <laughs> um, I admire anyone who can do that. Um, it's just like it's not something. It's not something I, I can't do. It's just something I I won't do. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I admire people who have the skill of being able to 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 just write write stuff um, and writer performers. But I'm like. 
for me, I'm like, all right, uh, I, I am eas- very easily prone to anxiety. Um, so like the idea of rewriting something five times makes me insane. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm the same way, you know, like I want to write more, but then it's like, ah, I can't come up with ideas, but then I just feel like at some point through it, even if I finish it, at some point, I'm just like, uh, this is bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> and someone can read it and be like, hey, that's funny. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> like, and I, I don't know what it is I'm chasing. Uh, <laughs> I can't even, like, I can't, I like, as a writer, I prefer to write by myself. And, and that's another thing where it's like, ah, oh, you're in a writer's room. You've got other people. And I'm like, when it comes to writing, I'm very much a, all right, I'm going to draft this three times by myself or with one other person. But the second there's a tape, there's like a, 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 a whole table. I'm like, forget it. Yeah. I, the idea of, of fighting for an idea makes me want to, to lay down and weep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I love performing these characters. I love doing that. I'll pitch a line read. I'll do the heck out of that. Mm-hmm. But to circle back to your actual question. <laughs> um, yeah, like a lot of th- the time when I am in the writer's room, um, I try to be a performer that like shows up to as many meetings as, as possible just so I can get to know like what's on everyone's mind and what'll be fun mm-hmm. um, for like the writer to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, I mean... With sketch, it's it's so much fun for me because like a lot of the time I just try to play people that I know or like mm-hmm. people in my family. It's most of the time people in my family. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you played an ICE officer in the play that we were in together, um, and you had it was like a clear choice that you made and how to present that character. Um, and and I wondered, are you like? were you going off of someone you knew or were you just like going off of what you envision? Oh uh, man. Uh, that character I think was c- kind of a, a riff on every boss I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Like, I was like, all right, this character that I'm playing isn't quote unquote likable or mm-hmm. quote unquote redeemable. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or maybe he is a person, you know, like, and, uh, yeah, I, I found like with that, with that show, like the easiest thing for me to do is like, Oh, this bad guy is just like, a that common ordinary everyday bad guy who, you know, he's not the, the guy at the top. He's the henchman. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm seeing the like dramatic presence that was there that made it like, this is serious and like this is how this person is one of the villains but at the same time you found a lot of avenues for humor and like really like classic sort of this guy is a buffoon like the way you see him in classic comedies (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh, it was you weave that really well thank you I remember with that character because I was I was like the nature of the character like I was like ah god like just to like unpack a little bit of the context of the character, um, the show was sort of like a 
I, I saw the show as like a, a clear satire. Mm-hmm. And one the character that I was playing is a was an ICE agent, and you know, he's uh, doing the things that some of these people do. And mm-hmm. I found like a, a way of like I don't know making that. I was like, there there are ways that I could play this, <laughs> and I don't want to like I want to support the overall point of the piece. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I, a lot of that is like, all right, these people that are ICE agents, like these people that are doing these terrible inhumane things are also people. And Mm -hmm. that's like, that's, I I think looking at it like that, it's like, okay, like I have to remember that this person is a person just like I am a person and they embody like all the worst qualities that are present in every human being. The question that I had for that and any time I've ever had to play a character that is not like a good person is like, what makes any person do anything? Mm -hmm. What does this person want? What are they always sort of like looking for in every scene that they're in? There's something about like that common everyday evil, Mm -hmm. like the people who are who don't personally have much to gain from, you know, keeping kids in cages and shit like that. Mm hmm you know, have a job. Like, that is the most terrifying kind of, like, powerless evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a powerful unkindness. Like, where you just are looking at it like a job. And you can't attach any feelings to it. And, yeah, I think, like, that allowed me to figure out, like, okay, there's certain points that I can't read any other way but, like, serious. And there are other points where it's like, okay, let's let this guy be a clown. Let's mm-hmm. let this guy be a, a freaking fool because it was a comedy at the end of the day. You know, <laughs> there was that, <laughs> you know, and just like give, give some more context to the audience. Like this was a play that was about what was happening to primarily um, Hispanics coming to America, but just any, any Friday trying to come to America right now uh, and, and hitting a lot of roadblocks. And, but it was done from the perspective of this is like a children's show and they're puppets and they're, and it's supposed to be kid friendly. So you can't take it as seriously as you would play it if it were an HBO show or something like that. Um, And it's uh, aside from being kid friendly, it's a comedy uh, that is dealing with a serious subject matter. So there's a balance to strike of, being serious with the stuff that's serious, but then finding these moments where, like you did, where this guy, this is a scene where he's just a straight up clown. Yeah. This is this is a farce uh, yeah. scene. Because the mind needs breaks. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you, when you're working with sketches in general, you're thinking on it, it sounds like, uh, as deeply as you would think on it if you were doing Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I want to get the point across, and I want to entertain. And, like, sometimes, like, I've, like, uh, you know, I've made errors as a a performer. I've I've had less successful performances with that kind of thinking, not not also being able to be, like, bounce back and be like, but this is a show for other people, you know? (laughs) Right. Not just a psychodrama. It is is also (laughs) a show for other people. (laughs) (laughs) 
once I got once once I could think about something like once I could think something through uh, completely and like explore a character on a psychological level that I feel all right I've I've gone deep on this character now I can also remember that uh, we want to have fun <laughs> yeah that's probably the most common note that I've gotten from any improv coach of like. Hey Mike, good acting. Um, yeah, <laughs> we want to make sure that you know we remember that we're in a comedy. We're doing comedy. Um, you know, kind of in terms of what we're talking about with Batman, like because of social awareness being so different than it was when Batman was created. When Batman was created, there was it was easy to just make it as simple as good and evil. Yeah, and when people start just like doing comedy uh, and in spaces where like anybody could be there, it was sort of easy to sort of overlook certain things. And especially like society until recent, until recently really yeah, looked at things as, well, this is what's normal and anything else is we don't have to look at and, or, or pay any attention to, but we're not in a, a society where we can separate things so easily anymore. It's harder to present Batman with Robin and not acknowledge that the, Robin's a kid and, and you know, all the other things that we talked about. Ooh. So I, I like this thought and I would say that like with everything, uh, with like social awareness, just being a thing and mm -hmm. people being, I think a little bit more being challenged to be a little bit more empathetic about what certain narratives could represent and mean. Mm -hmm. I think like, Let's let's use an example like uh, James Bond, for instance. I've, okay. I've talked about James Bond with a lot of people, and that's a character that gets recycled time and time again. Uh huh. I, I read the, some of the books, and like in the books, it's pretty clear James Bond is not a good guy. Like, <laughs> he's not a good guy. And and Ian Fleming made it very clear that this dude is a monstrous sociopath. He is a weapon. Mm, yeah. Um, but the movies have like sanitized him a little bit um, mm -hmm. and, and the hero of, of these franchises. Um, and I think in the past we've had a character who is, you know, on top of being a violent, uh, like a, a violent character, he's also like misogynistic as heck. Yeah. Um, like there's not very much good about him. And so... I was talking with somebody. There are people who are like, oh, yeah, there should be like a – it would be cool if they made a, a black James Bond. And, you know, just kind of like – up, just to kind of update it a little bit more and make him more of a, a hero. But I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't need to see that. I actually, I actually don't think that people – I think the problem is, is wanting the simple good and evil narrative. Like, yeah. James Bond is a – bad is not a it's not a good guy um right. and he's not even a good spy if you look at those no. early movies he yeah. always gets away because the villain failed or like the laser broke before it got to him you know he always is so lucky it's not that he's so good yeah. <laughs> at the job he just got lucky time and time again so he's an alcoholic sociopath uh misogynist who mm -hmm. is bad at his job and has been employed for like 25 movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is a really good example to point out the misogyny because that was something that when they started with the Daniel Craig years, yeah. 
Yeah. They somewhat had to like acknowledge like, well, and that's why like with this, the new one that's coming out, they have Phoebe Waller bridge writing, uh, so, in, in, I, working on it to sort of address that because think, we're too aware now of reality to keep with that same narrative of like, no, no, no. It's cool to like bet a lot of women. It's like, that's not where society is anymore. And I think comedy is is in that same vein of what we're talking about, where there are just certain things that we're too aware of to make light of now. I think um, so. Or yeah. Ignore. I, I think like social awareness, like I think it creates opportun- more opportunities than it does like problems. I think like so with you know the example of James Bond now that we're in this era and we are able to have someone like Phoebe Waller bridge, um, as the writer, as like the main writer for this project. And we're, you know, I think there's a, a black female 007, like a, a black woman doing James Bond's job, which I think is an interesting counterpoint mm-hmm. to like this guy's entire existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that is to me is like, that's how you, that's how you use that social awareness to be like, okay, but what if we lived in a world that embraced more perspectives than, than just that simple, you know, yeah, uh, heterosexual white male, you know, imperialist capitalist, what have you. Um, right. And also it's sort of like, um, I, I heard, I think it was George Clooney was saying it might've actually been Ben Affleck, but I, it was one of those two. They were saying that the more the audience knows about an actor, the more baggage it puts on a role that they're playing. Yeah. If everyone sees him a certain way, it's hard to play against that. And it's that yeah. same sort of logic here of like, if everyone is seeing something a certain way and they're not wrong, <laughs> or maybe they are wrong in some cases, but if everyone's seeing it that way, it's hard to continue on in a different direction if everybody is seeing james bond's behavior in previous movies as misogynist then they it's hard to continue on in that direction since so many people dislike misogyny so it's and it's and when it's comedy i guess that's why so much of comedy can just get so dated yeah because you're in a time period. People are talking about what's going on in that time period. It is very contextualized in that era. And so years later, it's out of that context and people can get offended at that time. But people, maybe people of the same group weren't offended at the time that it right. was originated. It's just how things grow and change. I was thinking about that movie, uh, Soul Man. You remember that movie, Soul Man, with uh, yeah. Owl? Uh, uh, yeah. So that movie is a movie that people look back at and they're like, how did that get made? But like, I feel like at the time, like it got different, it got very different reactions from people. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't know because I was not even alive. But <laughs> I remember it and I could talk about it after you share your thought. I I just like, I look back on a comedy like that and I, I kind of look at it with two brains. Like, like on one hand, there is the immediate like, whoa, a comedy about a dude with blackface. Yeah. But then I, I watched it and I was like, yeah, it kind of, it's not, a, it's the movie doesn't like pat the character on the back. 
they're never like, hey, this is a good and funny thing. They're like, <laughs> right. it's weird that it's insane. It is insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, yeah. He he at the end was not looked at favorably when it's no. found out that he's oh, so for people who don't know soul man is a movie from the 80s where a white guy who was trying to get into a college but didn't have the money um <laughs> did he was it that he took a pill to look yeah there's in this world there's a pill you could take and it uh made your skin brown and i guess it gave you an afro i don't remember if that was part of it or not but he because he had like curly hair like, I don't yeah, know, whatever yeah and um so he decided to take that and sign up for a uh, scholarship or some some sort of aid that was yeah. supposed to be for black people right so he basically stole money from a black person and um <laughs> that's that's the truth of the situation so the thing about it is and the thing that's like stuck in my head was like a trailer of him sort of like doing this sort of like this like walk the strut like oh this is how black people are this is how black people walk and the it's from a context of black people are cool black people walk like this because they're cool and that's yeah. how it got made because it was saying oh black people are cool but it was oblivious to so many things and even at the time cuz i remember when it came out on vhs and and it, uh, we uh, some extended family were watching it and no one seemed to really like it. It was just something that was sort of on. And it was sort of like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel right. You know, like you could tell in that moment no one was liking it. But it was also the 80s where people weren't really listening to us complain about stuff like people do now. So that's another reason why I didn't have this big controversy. It's because, uh, for one, we didn't have a platform like the Internet to complain about it. But also nobody was really listening to us. So why really complain about this movie? Like, it's such a different era. And when you look back, it is so, like, offensive on other levels, too, that people at the time wouldn't have necessarily looked at because at least they were trying to say we were cool. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, so, like, we had bigger problems and the stereotype that we're cool and all uh, good at basketball and dancing or whatever. You know, like, that wasn't, top priority front of brain to complain about at the time yeah i think like yeah and, and i i guess like in, within comedy circles it's uh talked about as like oh people are like mad sensitive now but it's like eh, i just think people are are more open now and able to to like look beyond their own like well let me let me say this another way Cause like, I I feel like everything that you were saying before about like people weren't really listening to black people when they complained about stuff or like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, yeah, like we have bigger fish to fry um, mm-hmm. and that fish has been fried. And so now we're in a, we're now at, at a point in culture where like, okay, uh, why did this bullshit happen? Or like, right. why, was this, why was this ever like funny? Why was this yeah. like funny to people? Um, and even and- if black people were okay with it at that time, um, just things just change. And you, like the first time you experience something, it's like 
because I remember when people were saying the like, oh, black people can dance, and I wasn't so offended by that in high school. But then at some point, like I think even when I was in college, it was like, hey, you know what? Not everybody. Like that's a stereotype. Like so, like yeah. after a while of hearing it, you just get tired of hearing it. The first time, it doesn't bother you so much. You know, it was just like, okay, a few years ago, this is maybe a controversial statement, but several years ago now, I guess it was the last time that Billy Crystal hosted the Oscars, and yeah. he did a Sammy Davis Jr. thing, a thing he had been doing for like twenty to thirty years. Yes, yes. And people were like, "This is blackface." But I remember in the 80s when he would do it, and black people liked it. Yeah. It's, for one, different a different generation of people complaining. And and I, I don't think that the people who were saying it was wrong this last time he did it were wrong. Because who's to say what a 20-year-old black kid should feel? You know, like, they grew up in a different era. Context is completely different for them. They grew up in a time where we we're being told... Don't do this stuff. Like, be more conscious of how you're making other people feel. And yeah. in the 80s, like, you know, that was at least a white person who liked us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just a different context. And so I'm not yeah. going to say either are wrong. But I, I am going to say that, like, that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Like, when people say, like, oh, you can't do anything in comedy anymore, it's like, hey, that's not the issue. <laughs> like, if people don't want to see somebody done blackface, that's fine. I will say, in the 80s, black people did not like blackface. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just, they looked at what Billy Crystal was doing differently. Maybe it was because he was playing a specific person and not doing a stereotype. It was yeah. a good impression. So, like, they didn't have a problem with it. And also, like, the intent behind it didn't seem malicious or belittling. It was more to say, like, isn't Sammy Davis Jr. great? It was, like, the reason we do impressions. Yeah. I uh, I 100% agree with that. There's there's so much to... There's so much to that. Um, yeah. It's not as simple and cut and dry as people who are having these, these like conversations on twitter or yeah. debates on twitter are are looking at it like they're just looking at it as like it's definitely wrong all the time and it's like i i don't it's, know if you can <laughs> say that <laughs> I, I i think it's that's one simple way of looking at it and like no one is wrong but like the way i feel about it is as someone who like recent example is uh robert downey jr yeah black in Tropic Thunder. Right. Uh, within the context of that project, of what it is, he's playing an actor who is, he's playing an actor. Who, who is white. Is, who is white. Who did who, what C. Thomas Howe did for Soul Man. Who, yeah. and I <laughs> They're think, lampooning like, Soul Man, essentially. I personally think that is fucking hysterical. I think it Me is too. so... Me too, yeah. Because of like, what he's making fun of. He's not, the whole time he's eating shit for being racist. Yeah. What Ben Stiller was trying to do was lampoon Hollywood for doing stuff like that. Yeah. And the only way to lampoon them is to do it. And I, mean, yeah. I know there are people who are saying, like, why not just cast Don Cheadle to do it? And it's like, but then they're not making the joke anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They're not making I the thought joke. it was brilliant. If someone doesn't like it, they're not wrong. It's just yeah. like it's just like the N-word and rap music. 
There are people yeah. who like it and there are people who dislike it. And the people who want to do it, it's an empowering move for them. So I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. Yeah. But, like, I'm not going to tell the people who don't like it that they're wrong because they don't yeah. have to like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I think, like, when it comes to comedy and it's, it's, the very, it's very simple, like, are you punching up or are you punching down? Mm-hmm. If you're punching down, you're a dick. And if you laugh at it, like, all right, like people like T- Sam Kinison had a whole career screaming about women, you know, yeah. like, he had a whole comedy career. And like, I tried to, I remember being like younger and being like, wow, this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then now watching it, it's just like, wow, this is just a sincerely angry man. And it, this doesn't feel fun. And there was a, there was just a cultural blind spot. Yeah. Yeah too much other shit and we didn't really look at is it crazy for us to let this man have a career where he's just screaming about women into a microphone yeah um, is that yeah. all doing? like are I, our spirits a little bit higher now yeah right i mean that's the thing it's like are we recognizing it's like what is the this person's intent behind it like i was just thinking about this before we were talking it's like if the person's intent is malicious, then obviously it's wrong. And it feels like if you're making fun of a group of people because simply they are of that group of people, that that feels a lot like malicious intent to me. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned it a second ago of like punching up or down. Chris Rock was saying, you could say whatever as long as you're applying pressure upwards. Like if you're if you're like making fun of a homeless person because they're homeless, that's shitty. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean somebody can't find humor from the stand, like from the perspective of being homeless. Right. Right. So like that's where it gets dicey. It seems like people don't understand that nuance. The thing about something like that is like the person that I want to see and hear making uh, like comedy or finding humor out of, uh, the homeless experience is probably a homeless person. Like, yeah. and that's, and that's where I think like people are starting to like I- evolve a little bit where something like rock, like during that time with Billy Crystal as, you know, as Sammy Davis jr. When he mm-hmm. did that impression, like there probably weren't a lot of other black performers that were given that opportunity. And so like now we're able to look at, okay, like why is this, why is this like annoying? Why yeah. is why is this annoying? Why was this annoying? Why is there this alternative feeling? This feeling that like wait a minute, this is wrong, and mm-hmm. it's wrong because like it feels wrong, and it like to like to for me, I I, I really don't give a shit. Like I, I'm kind of like <laughs> if it's funny, it's funny. If it's not, it's not. Yeah. Um, and like take as many risks as you want, just as long as you can. Like if you got the cash to back up that check, then like. Yeah, write that check. If yeah. you can't, don't. Um, yeah. And, and like, it seems like it takes a lot of understanding where other people are coming from to know if you can yeah. do it or not. Certain things are just obvious. Yeah. But some things, like, I, I thought I found some mischief in a improv show recently because I was just, like, kind of going off of what somebody said. And then later, when someone mentioned it and referenced it, I was like, oh, no, wait a second. Like, I'm actually talking about something completely different than what I meant. 
um, <laughs> like a, in a in a yeah. subject matter that's actually real, real bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, like you have, like sometimes you you do find yourself accidentally doing it, and if yeah. people like try to cancel you over that, I guess I can see how a comic might say, "Hey." I just accidentally did that. Why you got to cancel me? Like I wasn't maliciously trying to say these people don't matter. On one hand though, like, and like, I, I am, I am aware of intent with it on a case by case basis. Because, I'm very like, case by case. I, I, uh, there are certain people where like, even if they have good intentions, I'm like, but no, I'm like, it's uh-huh. not, you messed up. Sorry. You're, you're like, if, if your mess up was that bad, you know, like, <laughs> If if it was like Louis C.K. who really sincerely thought it would be funny to like paint himself like Al Jolson and like do a song and dance routine, I don't like, trust him to. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be like, you know what? So, but my intentions, it's like, you know what? Screw you. Um, you're yeah. The worst. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really really good point. And I think, and this is off topic, but I think it's how sometimes a celebrity can get into. Uh, or just a public figure can get into a dicey area like uh, a reporter. There was some reporter who tried to make a joke on Twitter. And in my opinion, people in the news are infamously unfunny. Um, And when they try, it's either really corny or offensive. And this was one of the times where it was offensive and she tried to hide behind, but I'm just making a joke and it's okay. And sometimes in arguments like that, some defender or the person defending themselves will throw out like, well, Chris Rock can do it. It's like, yeah, because Chris Rock has the nuance to do it. He knows how to do it right. And then also there is a social contract between a reporter that's different than the social contract that we make with in, in like unconsciously with a comic. A That's comic, we are expecting certain things from. A, re- a news reporter, we are not expecting that same stuff. That is, uh, you have just like generated the the premise for the best but buddy, buddy cop movie that has not been uh, <laughs> written yet. Because, like, I feel like it's very easy for comedians to to like sneak around and do a reporter's job than it is for reporters to like sneak around and absolutely and i that's what i love about comedy is like oh man you know i can highlight a truth a lot easier and a lot with a lot more fun than like and my sister's a reporter also so like i i really like she she's a serious reporter like she takes (laughs) so serious she's got a sense of humor but like she knows she's like all right i'm not gonna be like i'm not gonna be posting no insanity on the internet the way my brother does you know <laughs> right uh, i have like stakes to my career you know <laughs> right whereas if you were to post some insanity it actually helps <laughs> yeah there's like oh, look at this insane asshole you know <laughs> right that's what we want from comics that's what we want from batman <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well we could talk forever uh we'll have to talk some more some other time uh just about all of these things because i've really enjoyed it as i always enjoy speaking with you but it's now the end of the episode we should create something together and i'm interested in picking your brain And I don't know how easily we can do this without a script, but I'm kind of interested in hearing how when you are working with a script, how you find a way to put 
humor into it that is, uh, you know, whether it's from your perspective of being socially aware or not, but like how you find humor in areas where there, where the, either the humor isn't clear or it's just flat out not supposed to be humorous. So, uh, very fun uh, question. Uh, I'm current. I'm writing a screenplay right now. Um, oh, cool. That is very much. Uh, it's a comedy in a way, um, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, it, it's kind of like a like a Pulp Fiction crime thriller type deal. Okay. Uh, but the main action that we're following, it's like it's a crime thriller kind of world. Tarantino, very violent, lots of gangs, criminals, all that kind of business. Um, but we are following the story of a crime scene cleaner who has a crush on the neighborhood bartender. And uh, so a lot of the fun that I've been able to have is like, all right, this is a guy who like cleans up dead bodies for a living and like <laughs> helps out with like low level assassinations. But he's got a real crush on this woman that he sees every day. Um, and you know, she's, she talks to him. She like, likes him he's a he's a a regular of hers and like a lot of it is just me writing about uh what it's like to love someone when you feel like you're a piece of shit <laughs> um and it's it's a it's like a it follows the rom-com stuff there but there's also like uh-huh. elements that intrude and so <laughs> the comedy for me is just like being able to shake those two feelings of like let me like put him in his world for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let me put her in his world for a little bit. And then l- let me have them cross paths. N- and then knowing what we know about both of their char- both of their characters, it's fun. It's funny and weird to see them have a normal relationship. Like, you know, uh-huh. buying groceries and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, this guy is paying with money that is like literally covered in blood. <laughs> so you're finding that humor in a, it sounds like a, a classic way of just putting something in a maybe a fish out of water sort of uh, uh, aspect or just like a this and that sort of these are yep. two different worlds colliding. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's my favorite, man. So that so when you are reading a script, are you just looking for like, OK, here's what he's trying to do, but here's who he is as a person? Yep, it, there's like, and there's a really really good book on acting called uh, uh, Truth. It's by Susan Batson. Mm-hmm. Um, she like all of her characters, like her um, approach is very much. It's very like layered. Like every mm-hmm. character has the thing that they are, the thing that they want, like their needs. Yeah, it is very much like the, exactly how you said it. Um, where there's this tension between who they're trying to be and who they actually are. Mm. I love finding those opportunities in sketches where it's like, okay, I'm the science officer of the Starship Enterprise. And, you know, that's what the character was written for me. And I'm, you know, telling, I'm telling the captain that he needs to put the shields up. And, you know, I'm playing Mm -hmm. this sort of voice of reason character (laughs) to, you know, this crazy captain. And, What's fun for me is just like knowing, okay, this is life or death, but the thing that's going to get us all killed is 
this captain's like foolish bullshitty ego. Like you know, <laughs> he's on TikTok while we're about to crash a ship. And so it's that like I don't know. Uh there I don't know how well I explained that. I'm getting it though. I see what you're saying cuz it's I'm realizing from what you're saying how important wants are. Yeah. I mean that's maybe something that everyone learns when they study acting. But it's so crucial in comedy. It's like this person just wants this and they're not getting it for these ridiculous reasons in some cases. And sometimes the ridiculousness is like in a dark comedy maybe or or something that's not as broad as a lot of old comedy was. The comedy is coming from just the realities of two different worlds colliding. If if I were to like draw like a like a, a line through like everything I've ever acted or everything I've ever tried to write. Like the unifying thing for me is like desperation mm-hmm. and adults are, are big babies. And, uh, <laughs> there's like the thing that we want. And then there's the thing that we need. Uh-huh. And we sometimes know what the thing that we want is, but that's just a symbol of that deeper thing that we need. And it's usually one of five things. Um, it's like, it's love justice, respect, comfort, or validation. Uh-huh. And any object could, like, in a, in a romantic comedy, for instance, like, I, uh, the one that I was describing that I'm, that I'm writing right now, this guy loves this woman. He, you know, meets this woman, falls in love with her, and he wants to be with her. Mm-hmm. But he's got a need to like rehabilitate his, his whole brain, um, (laughs) his whole lifestyle. And it's too big of a problem for him to address. So in his dumb human brain, he's just like, Oh, if I uh, win this love, it will save me. And Mm -hmm. it, it won't. Uh, have you seen Rocky, right? Yeah, I've seen Rocky. Rocky is probably the best. It's my favorite franchise, I think. And it's purely for, like that first movie where it's very clearly a love story, but boxing has a role in it. And yes, it is a, a love story about this man who loves this woman, but it's also about a man who like who doesn't love himself. Yeah. <laughs> and the love that he had been trying to win the whole movie was beyond Adrian's, was beyond the love of an audience. It was that self that self love, that deeper, more complex love. Yeah, which he found through not even winning. Yeah, which and that's the thing. Like you, he wants to win, and he wants to be with Adrian. And even when you know he he gets with Adrian and they're together, there's still that yearning. There's yeah. still that 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 hasn't been addressed. And being a human being is just fucking around, screwing up, and uh, like not really understanding that need. Mm. So we just chase these clues, these wants until we're hit face to face with that with that thing with that need being met or not being met wow yeah well there it is man thanks so much for being on the podcast and sharing all those really interesting amazing thoughts oh thank you for having me this was uh, fun as hell had a really great time talking to him we had such a fun chat that there's going to be a bonus episode with michael on thursday it's a more quarantine focused part of the discussion we had it's interesting so check that out 
That's this Thursday. If you want to keep up with Michael, you can follow him on Instagram at Saint underscore Evans. Follow us too at There It Is Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter. We have the links in bio for all of this. But that newsletter, it's filled with news, entertainment news, comedy tips, uh, health tips, uh, and just some suggestions of things to check out. I've been getting great feedback from people who aren't even in comedy. Well, until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 